The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of MIA Equity and Equity New Zealand. Each year, the Equity Foundation delivers more than 100 masterclasses, workshops, film screenings, in conversations, international scholarships, and on set internships free of charge for Equity members. We give our thanks to our principal sponsor, Media Super. Good morning, everyone. As you know, I'm Alex Jones, and I'm the Program Manager of the Equity Foundation. And today I have the great pleasure in introducing our special guest, Abby Holmes. Before we commence, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nations and pay my respects to all the traditional owners of country and all throughout our country and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture, and that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And we pay our respects to elders past and present. This is a particularly important, appropriate time to thank our principal sponsor, Media Super. Media Super are your super fund. They are the industry super fund. They can help you build your superannuation and also give you financial advice. If you don't have uh, contact details, please contact me and I will put you in contact with the right people with the correct people rather. As always, it's important that you all mute yourselves. That's particularly important if you're on an iPhone as I can't mute you from here. A reminder that this session will go on for an hour and 15 minutes. We will have Q&A at the end of the session. So please feel free to put your questions in the chat section. I will contact you so you can ask Abby directly or you can ask me to ask on your behalf. And because we are recording this for a podcast, your questions will be recorded. But again, you don't have to give your name or as a reminder, you can ask me to ask on your behalf. Okay, so please welcome Abby Holmes. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, everybody. I'm speaking to you from Yalakut Willem land, which is west of Melbourne. Always was, always will be. So today, really, what I want to kind of cover is how prepared you need to be in order to just want to explore voiceover with a view to getting into it. Because so much has changed in the last couple of years, two and a half years especially, but really I think five to 10 years, it's been changing. And now it seems to have changed. And many things that happened during COVID now seem to be quite permanent. Anyway, so I wanna kind of go through opportunities, the, the way that the way we get work has changed and cover off all kinds of other things that will help you work out what it is you want to be doing based on the fact that you are a particular kind of voice artist. Given that you have already worked out what kind of voice artist you are. And I think really for anybody, and I, I know there are lots of people on this uh, live stream that I know who I've either worked with or coached or met. So people are at different stages of their experience with voiceover. The first and most important thing you need to really have nailed before you start launching yourself into the, that world is what kind of voice artist are you? And that actually 
can be tricky when you say, oh, I'd love to do animation, that'd be so much fun. It may be that you don't have enough of a skill set to do animation. It might actually be that you would be fantastic in the non-commercial area because you've got really solid sight reading skills and you know how to deliver informational scripts. You know, this is really about, it's sometimes about a creative event or eventuality but often it's really it can be quite bland work you know voiceover is it's probably full of more challenges than it is full of fun when you think about the fact that a lot of us are working from home studios now and not always with a producer talking to us either on a zoom or on some kind of other call we don't always have that we're sometimes working alone so it can get quite difficult but let's just talk about how things have changed really the biggest change has been the one that came about when COVID hit, and that is if you don't have a home studio, you're not working. And for people who, out there who want to be doing this, one of the things that you need to be prepared for is the fact that a home studio is now kind of an essential thing. But the good news is it's not expensive to set up a home studio and it's actually quite fabulous to work from home. If you have your own gear there, for instance, you can practice more. You can actually do more research from home and you can start to work out what it is you're doing because getting into a studio and reading from a script and being produced is one thing, but really understanding all of the workings of a script so that you become your own producer is something that will actually reflect on your work when you are in the studio. You just have to, you have to kind of deep dive what a script is in the various areas that you want to work before you get into it. So home studios, if you have a, when you want to buy a microphone, that's the most, the most important investment is the great microphone. Do you want to condense the microphone? If anybody's been using a USB mic, that's good for auditioning. It's good for podcasting. It's good for practicing, but it's not a broadcast quality microphone. And everybody can tell you won't, you don't have any control really with most USB mics about sound. So you really need a setup that is a really good quality mic condenser microphone and an interface which plugs into your computer and installed on your computer, you need what they call a DAW, D-A-W, stands for Digital Audio Workstation. So this is all the equipment you need. And I mean, you have in built in most computers a door. I mean, I use Pro Tools, so I pay a subscription for that because that is the system that I recognise that I'm used to editing and used to working with. That is a really big thing. And I, I have actually been, and I'm a busy voiceover artist, and I have been to a studio site eight times this year. And that's because my very regular clients are happy with for me to do it from a home studio because it works seamlessly. Nobody needs to leave where they are and we can all work together. There's still collaboration, you know, even though you're isolated. I mean, I don't really want to be on a Zoom. I can't, can't see the point of people seeing me work. I just, it's really an audio thing. So you just want to be able to hear it. But it is um, pretty seamless now. When you go to a studio and you're still going, the studios are still there. During COVID, a lot of people who had studios that were smaller went home. So their control room is now at home and they work with, voiceover artists like me through something called Source Connect. And if you haven't heard of Source Connect, it's an American platform which you pay a subscription for. And, you know, depending on the price of the US dollar, it can be around $50 a month. It's a fantastic thing. It's just basically a platform that you plug into 
when you're talking to a studio and you, you can deliver your, your performance in real time. There is a slight delay, but in real time to the studio and they will capture your voice. So that's pretty amazing technology. You don't have to record yourself. You don't have to do any editing. It's just like you are actually physically in a studio, but you're physically at home. That's a fantastic thing to do. I think the other opportunities, funny word, isn't it, with voiceover, is you want to make sure they're worthwhile, that they're paid well, and they're kosher. But there are a lot of opportunities online to get work. And anybody who is now setting up at home can take advantage of those opportunities. And most of the, a lot of the platforms out there are a bit shit. You'll know by exploring them and finding out how they structure their fees, whether it's a pay-to-play site. You know, I, I have known people over the last few years who've reported that they've done fairly well on things like Voices.com and the voice realm, which I don't like. Voices, I don't really like those big platforms. But there is one called Bodelgo, B-O-D-A-L-G-O. And a lot of voice artists in Australia are working on Bodelgo. And they have, if you... If you look for, it, look for any of these platforms, if you go exploring Google, which I'm going to say a lot today because you find out a lot of information doing this research yourself, look for the reviews. I mean, I know it's tricky because you sometimes feel, mm, I don't think I can trust those reviews, but really look at what people say to work out whether they're legit or not. So Bidalgo is probably my favourite. I've also heard people having some success on Star now, which I would have advised anyone a couple of years ago to stay away from because nobody wants to pay you. But I've heard people who are getting good rates on Bidalgo. Now, a lot of this work, I, I must add, too, is non-commercial work, which is a good thing because we already have a structure of rates for the commercial area that Mia has negotiated with the industry. And of course, we just got first time in seven years, a pay rise. Thank goodness for that. It's an, it sort of doesn't quite go far enough, but it's a great start and we're communicating with them again. Uh, where was I? Going to a studio, the online things. Oh yeah, yeah, the non-commercial non stuff. So this is, this is an area where Mia has found it difficult to and agents to negotiate rate structures and fees for the non-commercial area. And that's really because there's no central organisation that we can negotiate with. So what's happened over the years is that we've just had a rate structure and a fee structure, which is represented, is it fair enough to ask for that kind of money for them? Is this, you know, is this what somebody would be happy receiving? And, and of course, over the years, as the whole non-commercial area has changed, what we look at is, Basically, the MIA rates are, are structured for, for commercial area is reach and duration, right? How far is it going and how long is it going to be on? So that's about who's going to be seeing it and does it have legs? And in the non-commercial area, that it can be a little more difficult to discover, but that is really the way you price it. But one of the really good, so if you go to any of the agents' websites, the voiceover agents' websites, and go to their rates section, they will have those non-commercial rates and the thing about non-commercial work is that during COVID it just went because places who had somebody coming to their work site and giving a lecture or doing some training or coaching couldn't go anymore so they employed a videographer if they had one there or went to a an audiovisual producer and 
got a script written, the voiceover artist would do it from home, the videographer or the, the producer would put it together at their, at their, in their studio and they would just have it delivered to their staff. So that's meant that work in that non-commercial area, which is quite wide and varied, it's not always dry and boring, can be, you know what it can be? Working with crappy scripts, as in they know the information that they want to deliver to their listening audience but they are not great at writing for spoken word. Often the person who writes the script will be the business writer. So there's all kinds of weirdness in there, you know, jargon words like my favourite one, value proposition. I mean, what is a value proposition? Why don't they just say what it is? So words that will not be said in natural speak, in conversation, are often the feature of these kinds of scripts so they can be challenging and if that that client is open to it the thing about working from home is you know you need to maybe you get a script sent to you because you win the job win as in you do an audition on a platform or something and they say yeah we want you to do it here's the script do it and send it through you need to really forensically look at that script and make sure that you have you're absolutely clear about everything and all of the questions are asked. And a lot of those questions need to be, does this kind of work actually translate well into spoken word? So it, it is, you know, this kind of area of our business can enable you to earn good money and become a voiceover artist, yes, but you do have to understand what your role is in that new world of do it be yourself producer so you know you have to look for all kinds of things like can I use contractions we will you know often you'll get we will guarantee to we will get I mean just look at my mouth we will guarantee it's clumsy as buggery you know it really is clumsy if you do it because it's not about we will it's about guarantee so we'll guarantee I know this is not a voiceover technique of course that's the next one but I can't help putting in a little bit of technique things on the way you know so that's, that's an area that has really grown. And you will find on a lot of the online platforms, often more lowbrow non-commercial work that is a lower budget or for a startup or a company that just wants, you know, a quick video done for their website or whatever. The, the high paying stuff, NAB, MLC, Amy, all, all kinds of things like that, they will usually be handled by a sound recording studio we still work with a, an artist at home, but they might come from an agency, an ad agency who has that high-end brand and they do that, their non-commercial stuff themselves. If anybody's got any questions about studio, you know, ask me, ask me later. I think we'll just talk about the skills that you really need. And I mean, you're all here, you're either doing voiceover or you want to do voiceover. You do have to have a good vocabulary, a great knowledge of language and a real understanding of how to deliver a message. And that is really, you know, that is in the script and that is work that I'll do in, in the next course. I'll talk about the styles and the genres of work. So the commercial world is very, very different from a non-commercial world. The commercial world is, of course, talking to a half-listening audience. However, the scripts are very, very different and they are full of little kind of keywords and key phrases that are designed to convince you that you need something you didn't know you needed before you heard that commercial, basically. In the non-commercial world, it's to a captive audience. That is, somebody has searched for the information, 
or they need to know the information as part of their, their work, or they just Googled out of interest, so they are paying attention. So in that sense, you don't have to work as hard with key phrases and keywords, but you do have to get information really clear. So it's always about, it doesn't matter what kind of voiceover you're doing, you always have to have a person in your frame that you're talking to. I mean, sometimes it can be a group, right? But generally, it's like I'm talking now at the level that I would be talking to a friend if I was having coffee with she or him, him or her, they or those, you know, it's just an intimate level of conversation. So I think if you, if you think about the commercial world, there's a much bigger projection of, of keywords and phrases. Non-commercial, it's not so much. So accents and character work is a really interesting area because all of the areas of voiceover will sometimes want accents and character work. Character work more in, in commercials and non-commercial is basically putting yourself in somebody else's shoes rather than animation. Well, you're creating a voice, you know what I mean? It's like that's a, a different kind of character work. But just be careful with that and always be careful when you're creating a voice demo which I'll get to soon, because you, what you want to do by understanding what kind of voiceover artist you are is to load that voiceover demo with a variety of jobs that you would be likely to be cast for. So for that, your research needs to be going to, once again, the voiceover agent websites where, that, where you are able to access their large database of people and listen to, basically, you, you can put yourself into a little um, you know, field so it can be you and then you go for people who are like you and listen to what they're doing. Listen to how their voice demos are structured and you will get a sense that voice demos, um, you know, there's a kind of an industry standard in voice demos. Often I've done something, worked with, with an actor who's come to me and said, I want to do something really different. I thought, great, let's do something really different. And we put together a voiceover demo and, you know, I might send it to my agent or something. What do you think of this? Oh, no, I don't think people, no, 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 I don't think. I th get them to do an intro. You know, it's like, well, really. Anyway, so agents are wonderful, wonderful, but they can sometimes be a bit restrictive. You don't need an agent to be a voiceover artist, so that's good news. All you need to do is, well, all you need to be prepared for is to do the legwork. But to tell you the truth, even if you do have an agent, I think it's really important that you present yourself to the studio or the, you know, if, if, if it's the non-commercial area, then you contact audiovisual producers who are making material all the time. They're always looking for good voice artists. And if you have that kind of voice, and the other thing about non-commercial these days is that it's much broader than it used to be. You know, it was a bit like we only want that kind of trusted 40 plus male or female. Now it's everybody is, all kinds of companies are doing it, all kinds of different products, different styles of companies are doing it. So you can be any age and still work in the non-commercial world. Animation is, is still small in Australia. If you have an ambition to be in animation, you really need to start collecting material if you want to start, if you want to make a demo for the animation world, it can be tricky because you don't want to send a producer just you doing a whole run of accents or character voices because they won't know whether you've just done these from the top of your head, whether you can, what they need to know is that you can look at, at an image of a character and a script and you can nail that characterization of that character. So if you're making a demo, the best thing for you to do is to create 
some material, get an image and you can download anything from, from the internet. It, it, you just put in animation images or cartoon images and you'll get a whole lot of different things there that you can just cut and paste. It doesn't matter that they have a watermark on them. It's really just you doing a sum. And I often say to people, I'd go to children's books to look for little grabs of dialogue for a particular character. And you, you can put three little grabs of dialogue, no more than about 25 seconds, right, overall. But they need to be different emotional attitudes. All the time, they need to be different emotional attitudes so that they can see that you can play with emotion and that that voice looks like it's coming out of that character. If you only kind of have one particular quirky style, then just do one. If you're very, if you're a little bit more versatile, so do your repertoire basically, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter how many things you put on it. If you can do six fabulous voices that don't sound anything like you, then that's pretty amazing. Um, and they may like you because if you're not represented, you're missing out on the fact that briefs will come to agencies or to agents asking them to suggest people or they will just or agents will just send to their book people they know have good you know abilities in animation or quirky voices or very skilled to audition the other thing about auditioning is you know it's it's, it's always a bit of a bugger with actors because often if you audition on one of the platforms, you don't get any feedback because they get hundreds of responses. And so you don't know how you've done. That's that's the hardest thing because it is it can be very, you know, it's distressing. We hate getting no feedback. Oh, I thought I did a great audition. Oh, I not only did I not get the job, I haven't heard. I must have been crap. It's, it's always something that we're dealing with that we have to get over. But that's the way it is with voiceover and the fact that they're, they're looking or listening to dozens and dozens, dozens and dozens of voices. The thing about it when you audition is that you have to make sure you make an impression first up. You, the really important thing is that you read the you read the email and read the instructions, not once, not twice, three times. I mean, I the time, amount of times I've missed something, I look at it three times and go, oh, I didn't notice that before because it was just written strangely or it was down the bottom or whatever. And it's an important instruction. So that's kind of important because this is going to be something for the future. So get, you know, if you really are determined to work in voiceover, look at the studio. It's not, it's, it'll probably cost you, could cost you under $500 to set you up with a, a really good condenser microphone, an interface you can get free downloads of DAWs, digital audio workstations, and um, a microphone stand, or you can get a desk stand, depending on how it is, and then baffle a little space in a cupboard. I've, when I go on holiday, I take my, my, I pack up my little laptop and my microphone and my desk stand and my interface, and it packs into a box. And I just carry it and I put it in the car or I put it in a box in the plane. And when I, wherever I go, I set it up. And because I have a really good microphone and I know how to position it in a room so that it works, it's amazing. But the thing you need to know, don't be too fussy about background noise because these days, of course, it would, wouldn't work if you were on a busy road. It really wouldn't. But if there's a little tiny bit of background noise, like say it's raining outside or it's very windy outside, those kinds of things can be just cleaned up with a plug-in to get rid of background noise. They have plugins for all kinds of things these days. For plosives, they can just get rid of a, or a b. And mouth noise, you know, things like mouse clicks and things like that, it's very easy. 
to get rid of things. So doing that is a really important thing. I would recommend it. If you're serious about it, you won't be sorry. And then you can start doing the work. It was another one. Oh, yeah, there's another one called Gravy for the Brain. I don't know whether anybody's experienced Gravy for the Brain. I Gravy for the Brain does sensational marketing, really quite quite amazing marketing. But I went and, and I looked and I thought, gee, this, is, this looks really good. Maybe I should recommend this to people. Then I went to the reviews. Ooh, whoops. Not doing something, doing something amazing, marketing, but that's a bit, you know, it, it that seems to be all it is. So it's an American site, and I'm I'm not sure whether it's it's going to be of, of value to you or or not. I'm not sure, but you know, just beware of those kind of platforms. So representation, you don't have to be represented. The free training is really listening to other voiceover artists or watching them work. And you can just Google people working in all of the areas that you want to work in, including audiobooks. I haven't kind of talked about audiobooks yet, but I will in a minute. So thinking about, I bet there's a whole lot of people here who no longer listen to commercial radio or free-to-air television. Don't have to put up your hands. I know you're there. And I get it. I really get it. I mean, my daughter does, and I, I, I like to watch what I want to watch too, but I still listen in to commercial radio because I want to hear what they're doing and I want to hear the voices working. And so that's what listening, watching free-to-air or listening to commercial radio does. And when you're online Googling stuff and you get the ads up, don't go, oh, bloody ads, and they say skip in three seconds, just listen on. Don't skip. Just listen on because it's clever the way they do that these days. Mostly if you're the audience or the market that they want to grab, they will have grabbed you in three seconds anyway, but that's the art of advertising. I mean, working in long form things for the, for the commercial work, for the corporate world or the non-commercial world, you know, things, yes, can be long. And yes, you do have to do a lot more work with the script. It's so true. But advertising really has the, in a sense, it's a game, you know, that, that wonderful game of seduction and manipulation that they play so beautifully with all of us. Anyway, let's just talk about audiobook narration because I think audiobook narration has become really huge. I only started doing it three and a half years ago when people came and asked me whether I coached people who were doing audiobooks. And of course, you know, I said, yeah, but I realized that I didn't know anything about the industry. So when I talked to one of the studios and they said, we were thinking of doing a podcast. Why don't you be the podcast person talking about technique and we'll just talk about the industry and I thought well that's great then I'll learn about the industry then when I did this I thought you know I wouldn't mind doing a book I I had said no to books in the past because the rates are quite low and when you consider that when you do get a book you have to prep the book if the book is running if it's 10 10 hours recording and they'll, they'll sort of have a bit of a guess at that you can bet that prepping the book is going to take you long longer than that maybe 15 hours some books are an easy read. Maybe a nonfiction is a bit of an easy read than a fiction. Fictions are full of different characters and you have to work out if it's a, if it's a narrator book, what does the narrator sound like? Who is the narrator on behalf of the author? Then who are the characters? You know, it's, it's a very different kind of skill. A, a nonfiction book is just the person reading. I realised that it was creatively satisfying in a way that I hadn't expected 
I was lucky with my first and second books. Fantastic. Did get one that I thought, oh, why did I say yes to this? I'm not enjoying it. It's really crappy. It was a, a romance novel set in the 1880s and it was deeply uncomfortable and quite badly written and I hated it. You don't want to do that to yourself because you're sort of stuck there in a, in a studio uh, reading this thing that you hate. Anyway, it is a pretty amazing work and I've found that as far as achieving genuine creative flow, the only time I've done it in the past little while has been with an audiobook. you know, where the engineer, I must have missed a word or something, he says, Abby, and I go, oh, oh, frightened me. Sorry, I didn't know where I was. And you just, you must sort of disappear into the book in order to, you've got to live it. You have to be the book, especially if you're the first person narrator. It's your story. So, you know, you have to deliver it as these words, this life is you, it's your own. So audiobooks is, the other thing that's happening with audiobooks, and I knew this would happen, it's already happening in the States, it's been happening in the States for some time, that people are doing them from home. There are a lot of places in, in the States doing audiobooks. They, they do something where they will, they won't pay you, but they'll sit you up on a royalty program. That can be a tricky one. You could end up working for hours and hours and hours for very, very little money. So, you know, if it's a big book, it's probably with a big publisher and a big studio and they know that they want a really cracking author, but the, uh, a narrator. But there are, uh, there's a lot of don't care around some audiobook places. But if you're really interested in doing it, it's a fantastic thing to do. And getting a demo for an audiobook is pretty simple, really. You can send to, and in Australia, there are a few studios who are doing it now. Belinda Audio in Melbourne, I believe now, is working with a studio in Sydney. I don't know the name of that studio, but if you are in Sydney and you're interested in audiobooks and you're already top shelf and you, you, you don't know about Belinda Audio, then contact Belinda Audio and send them some samples of what you've been doing. You don't, you don't have to have professional gear to do it. You can do it on your phone because they're not interested so much at the moment with, in, in your samples about the quality. It's really your ability to read a story and get into the story that they're listening for. I, th I think it is worthwhile because now the union... We're not doing it yet, but we will be, we are very interested in pursuing a rate structure for audiobooks where it's based on how complex the book is, how many characters you're doing, things like that, right? If it's a simple nonfiction, it'll be a lower rate than something that has a whole lot of words you have to look up, a whole lot of accents you need to feel more proficient with. Although audio in audiobooks, you do not have to be if you're doing an Irish accent, it doesn't have to be perfect because what you're trying to get there is, is the, the nature of the character you're reading. So it's what, what, what is their personality like? What is their kind of story arc here? And how do I do this person, whether it's male or female? It's not hard as a woman to do a male. Everybody knows it's the narrator reading the book, so they're very forgiving. As long as you make the, give the narrator a life, you know, you give it some emotional life because you're not reading, you're storytelling, and that's the big thing. So very, it's very different um, skills from voiceover, very, very different. Demos for, so, and, and demos for audiobook because you just send short samples, I mean, up to two minutes of each kind of text or each style that you think you can do really well. 
work out whether you're the person who can do a first person narration, that is be the person in the book, or you'd be better with a, a third person narrator, which is the fly on the wall, but the all knowing one. And you send those to whoever. So in Sydney, if, I, I don't know, too, I know that in New Zealand, there, is, there are, you can just Google them, you know, audiobook producers, Auckland, audiobook producers, Sydney. I don't know who you'll get there, but I will tell you that Audio Brian in Sydney does audiobooks. Sound Kitchen does audiobooks. And in Melbourne, it is Bolinda, B-O-L-I-N-D-A, and Square Sound in Port Melbourne who do audiobooks. Mostly they come from Audible who have been just given the book by the publisher and said, get this book recorded for us. But a lot of it come direct from publishers. There's a, a place in London called WF House, and they are a really good publisher who do a lot of Australian work. W-F-H-O-W-E-S, if you want to look them up in London. And if you are Englishy styled, not necessarily, because you know I've done books for them that are Australian books. That's a good, that's a good contact as well. So how are we going for time? Right, okay, that's good. Preparing to get work, you know, I talked about the free stuff that you do, which is really listening to people and Googling people online to watch them working. You can do that with, you know, animation as well as, you know, commercial work and audiobooks especially. But, you know, if you're really serious about putting together a commercial demo, this is when I really believe you need training with a coach. It's not easy to put together a cracking you know, demo that will get you work. But this is something that you need, if you determine that you are somebody who really would be great in the commercial area, you really understand the breadth of the scripts that, that you get out there and you will start to hear them when you listen to people's demos. It's like, oh, that, you know, that's a very different script from this, the one that she did before. And, and, and you'll start to listen to things like, what is the difference between each of these reads? Because the volume with each of the reads will be similar on the, you know, what you're listening to on the demo. But when the, uh, when the work was recorded, the, the difference between each read is really three things. It's volume, pace, and energy. Once you apply any or all of those things to your reads, you will instantly become more versatile. So what you want to make sure is that, you, that you're not somebody who's just reading with one voice. The whole thing is about creating different personas that people are going to go, wow, that was a great read. Oh, sounds completely different doing that. I cast them for that. Oh, now this is funny. You know, it's like whatever you do, be you're creating personas to to work and survive in voiceover you need a set of personas anyway I mean it's they're borrowing your voice but basically you're a performer and just as you go in and out of different kinds of roles where you know you might have a different kind of accent or a different kind of attitude and then you might be somebody who works in banking so you speak a little bit more educated or whatever that is they're the kind of personas that you want so they're the things we're looking for you as you are, that's well, all very nice. And there may be a chance for you to sound exactly like you do in the real world. But to tell you the truth, if you've ever listened to my work, I don't sound like me. I mean, people will say, I thought I heard you on an ad. And yet they might have just picked up the fact that you can't hide certain things about your voice style or the way your voice is. But, you know, through the years, I've worked really or thought a lot about 
how I was going to survive in voiceover. And it really is the whole thing about creating personas. This is where you need that little home studio set up so that you've got some good headphones or good headphones, I forgot about them. But you don't have to pay a fortune for headphones. Just make sure they're good. Comfortable is my first thing about headphones. And create a demo that is probably no longer than two minutes that always presents the thing you do best first that is current and that you would be likely to be cast for. And I think this is why I say for that, you do need a coach. For non-commercial work, if you, if you do non-commercial work, it's not that difficult to find a script for the non-commercial work. It's often information driven. They, you, you can also, if you look at, the, at websites where they have a little video, that's usually called an explainer video, and they will have a script that's a bit more like an ad but it'll be a bit longer. In that kind of thing, I mean, often that, that will be a startup doing that. So whenever you see something that you have an opportunity to record, if you see something and you go, oh, I should be recording this on my phone, record it and then make a, make a script out of it. Just, just do a transcript and make a script and then you've got a script. And so just once again, in the non-commercial world, it's about really solid reading and a solid understanding about how to deliver or share information. I would say that you want to put yourself in a position, more of a position where you're a, a lecturer or a teacher. You're giving, you're giving information in that way. So what you have to do is, you know, I mean, going too fast is a no-no, but making sure that you pause between each different piece of information. You can go fast on the line as long as you pause for the next piece of information. And then the next piece of information will come after that. Those little pauses give people a chance to go, oh, I get it. I get it. Interesting. And it will keep them engaged. If, you're too far, if you go too fast, nobody, nobody can hear you or listen to you. Same with audiobook narration. That's one of the biggest things people get told. Although I sometimes get told to hurry up. It's going a bit slower. Oh, sorry. I was just indulging myself. Voiceover agents. Now, as a voiceover artist, you might think, I'll get a voice demo and I'll be able to get an agent. But agents work really more like they won't take you just based on a voiceover demo, but they may be interested if you were really good and, and you fit with them. And when you're doing your research, look at the voiceover agents in a way that says, well, would I, would I fit with this agency? Are there too many people just like me? Or if I want to present to this agency, what do I need to have first up that I can't hear anybody else doing? I mean, for instance, if you can do an AI type voice, I don't mean a Siri or anything like that. I mean, creating a voice that is, you know, there's quite a lot of that around now. And oh, isn't, isn't the voice to text thing just the worst thing ever? If anybody's ever heard voice to text, it's just people keep saying, oh, we should worry about this, but they're going to have to get it a lot better before we start worrying about it because it's just awful. And the NAB, I've just got to tell you, NAB, the NAB, now has a voice to text person on their, on their um, IVRs, their interactive voice response. I was shocked and horrified. Nearly took my whole banking away. So, but voiceover agents want, want you to be vouched for by a producer or somebody that you've worked for, a studio that you've worked for. And I, that's the most important thing that you need to think about. Having a coach that will record you at a studio, if you get the engineer at that studio, loves you, thinks you're amazing, they can vouch for you. And don't be afraid to ask them, as, you know, that, because what they will say about you is the truth. 
because they need they they have a relationship with the agents and the agents need to be able to not have egg on their face when they recommend you to people uh but that person who vouches for you will vouch for you in this way oh yeah look he was fantastic so great with that car ad he did this car ad and he was just rocking but we tried him on a retail thing i don't think that's his strength had the quite the right voice for it but you know maybe potential there liked him to he's quite funny so he can do some funny that's the kind of feedback they will give an agent agent goes "Uh uh-huh 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 so then something comes in and they feel more certain there's more trust around actually delivering that you know delivering saying yes to you and then helping you get work so like I said you don't need an agent if you if you don't have an agent you need to make sure that you're doing your own marketing not that agents do a whole stack of marketing they really don't your demo is basically your marketing tool so that's something that you've put together and you've paid for the fact that you're positioned on their website can be a good thing because often somebody will call into an agent and say we're looking for a voice who can do a you know, this kind of read or that kind of read. Oh, you, you need to listen to this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. They might give five or six voices and they'll go and listen to them. They may then say to that agent, we loved, for, you know, we loved this person and that person. Could you please book, the, could you book them for a submission for this job? Or let's just give it to this person. So that's kind of how they do it. That's where having a profile with an agent is kind of good if you have a theatrical agent it's likely that your theatrical agent won't be approached in that same way only voiceover agents will be approached in that way from an ad agency so if you have a theatrical agent you definitely have to do your legwork and it's okay to have a conversation with them about you want to you're making a voice demo you want to get into voiceovers is it okay if I do this on my own they may say sure their notes won't really be that put out of joint they'd like to get you the 10 percent, of course but the fact is you're doing you're doing all the legwork and you're doing all the marketing so marketing can take the shape of every time you do a job if you like it if it was a good job a good script and you thought you really worked it well get it a copy of it that is and before it goes before it gets away from you do it in the first few days after you've done the job sometimes it might take two or three days for the edit to be completed at the studio So um, you may not be able to get it instantly, but it's better to tell them that you would like it as soon as the edit's completed. Could you please have a copy and just keep those things in a folder so that what you can do after you've sent your demo out to somebody, you can follow it up with another one. And that would that would work well in the non-commercial area. A demo for the non-commercial area is maybe three if you can find three quite different scripts, usually maybe 35 seconds worth of reading because it is longer form so they want to be able to hear that you can hit all the points that you know what you're talking about and you're still staying engaged with the message and it will still be a message and it will often be a message they're selling something I mean there can be information in the non-commercial thing two things really they're important an information delivery script and a script that is a bit more like an ad which is the thing that you would see on an explainer video so go trawling for explainer videos and you'll, you'll get that it's, that, and by an ad, I mean, it will probably have the structure of problem solution. It will start out with, oh, having difficulty getting this done and that done, having difficulty getting your washing machine serviced. We can be there in two hours. You know what I mean? Problem solution. And this is what you do then we, and they go on and on and on. These are not necessarily great scripts, but really what they, what they want to hear 
because they're used to not doing great scripts, is that the, the personality of the person is engaging and it's going to be able to get that information or that idea or the fact that there's a problem solution there out to the listening audience, okay? So if you get feedback from studios anywhere, as in somebody writes to you and says, gosh, you did such a fantastic job, we love working with you, then save that little grab and put it into a, a document somewhere. And if you don't have a website yet, but you think you might want to get a page or a couple of pages, it's a good idea. You know, it doesn't cost a whole lot of money to set up a couple of pages where you can house your, your samples of all of the things that you can do. And then you can send to the, the studio that you got good feedback from, do the marketing with them send a, a link to a job that you just did. And often the, the uh, non-commercial areas will be video. So they always look better. Often they don't translate necessarily well to an audio demo. So often with people who've done a, uh, an audiovisual job and they want to make a, a just an audio demo for the non-commercial area, I will just choose a, a piece out of that, you know, two or three minute video, whatever it was, that sounds really good in just in an audio recording. It was just a really good bit, had really nice music, blah, 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 because that's what you get. You get a good production. But also putting together a video video demo of audiovisual work is a good thing. It's a really, really good thing. It always looks so slick and, um, you know, just you don't, you only need a few samples on that as well. And the other thing you want to do, invoicing is always a tricky thing. Now, Mia has their rates. I've talked about the studio, uh, the the other the non-commercial rates being able to be found on uh, agent website. But there's a, a mob in the state. Some of you may have heard of them. It's called the Global Voice Acting Academy or GVAA. They actually have quite a spectacularly detailed list of rates for the American landscape. But when you look at that, you can get a, a clear idea about how they, you know, what, what kind of rates are fair enough. It's quite, it's, it's quite deep. We, we are more simplified here. I mean, I think in the non-commercial area, you know, you sort of start at about, mm, you know, couple hundred bucks to three hundred dollars for somebody who just wants a top and tail for a podcast or just wants a an intro for an event you know a one night only thing those sort of those little jobs it's always worth booting up the the computer for that and doing doing the job it's money that you wouldn't have had otherwise and you know if you if they're out there so you might as well be doing them you now I forget what I was saying before that oh yeah ha having having keeping keeping those things Keep detailed records of each job that you did, as in what what was it? How long did they say it was going to be? This is any job that you do. And if you do have an agent and you're working through an agent, keep a record of the job that you did and the money that you got for it and when you did it, because you really want to make sure that that money gets to you. Sometimes you do it and you think, oh, it's been so many months I wonder where that, that job is, or you'll just forget it. It's been so many months and I forgot I did it. And, you know, occasionally it happens rarely, rarely rather than occasionally. My agent will, for some reason, have not got details right. But I need to confirm with my agent every time I do a job, especially if it's, you know, I say, yes, confirmed, we did this many tracks. If, we, if I don't do that, you know, it's like, oh, we did, they said that we were going to do six, we did eight TV tracks, you know, you have to send that information to them, because then they will just invoice the six. So it's really important that you keep across as 
as a business exactly what you did. Don't let anybody else take full responsibility for it. You take responsibility for it. It's going to be so much simpler in the long run. And also when it comes time for looking at it and going, oh, that radio ad I did, oh, they said that was that, they said that was three months. That was March and it's October and I'm hearing it again. Oh, another fee required. So if you have that information there and you must just check and see what they paid. Oh, they actually only paid that. So that's important that you kind of keep across it. That's another good reason if you're doing radio commercials, if you're young and you're doing FM stations or something, have a little listen every now and then to that FM station. In fact, that's part of the research. Listen to where you think you would hear yourself. I mean, if, you, if you're going to commercial commercial stations right commercial talk stations you will hear a really broad demographic of voice artists doing all of their advertising because their market is so broad if you go to one of the radio state the bfm stations you will hear specifically what their listening demographic is it's just what it is so if you suit that if you are that demographic then you just yeah go there so as far as getting your once you have your demos it's finding where you send them is really about cold calling. But it's not a scary word in voiceover cold calling because they want to hear your demo. They want to hear good demos. They welcome new people into the industry and they want to work with people they like, you know. I think doing it for audiovisual producers is pretty easy. Ring them up. You say, I'm a voiceover artist. I'd like to send you a voice demo. Who can I address that to? Oh, sure, just send it to me or just send it to blah. You can do it. You can also do it with bigger companies like the NAP who have in-house videographers and people doing work, you know, they have a little production department where they will do small things and they will be things often where they send information to their staff, shareholders, stakeholders, whatever. They're not big, you know, public things. They're smaller things often with a, you know, quite well, if it's a big company, it's a good budget. But if they don't know who you are if they don't know you exist they won't know where to find you so you're giving you're providing a service to them or solving their problem which is oh we've got to do this video who are we going to get to do it they may already have some people that they know that they've worked with before no reason why you can't be in that group as well and with studios you just wherever you are and of course you can do it Australia wide have a big blast right because if you have your own home studio, if, if you're working in a studio or you, you're sending it to recording studios, yes, favour your city, of course. Uh, if you don't have Source Connect yet, so if you are already a working voiceover artist and you're getting a few jobs, it can be very handy to have Source Connect because then you can use as a marketing exercise contacting a studio and saying, I have Source Connect and I'd love to work with you and here's something I've done recently so you know a little bit of marketing and you just that's when it really is helpful having those little jobs that you've done recently and you just go hmm, this studio does this work and that work maybe I'll send that one so I think we might be almost ready to ask questions do you think do you think Alex yes yes sorry I was just on unmute yes and I will I've just put a notice in everyone but I'll just kick you off hmm. With, do you have a recommendation for an inexpensive preamp? A preamp? I'll, I'll pop, Ron, I'll put you on up so you can talk directly. Oh, hello, Ab. Hello. Uh, yeah, I've I, I read somewhere that having a decent preamp um, with your condenser microphone would give you better quality. You don't mean a, an interface? 
I'm just, I'm not, you know, I'm not that techie. So all I know is microphone, interface, computer, work. I'm really not too sure about the preamp question. But if you email me, just abbyholmes3 at gmail, I'll ask one of my studio mates with that question, okay? And I'll get back to you. Otherwise, preamp, mic, preamp, record, job done. All right, coming up two seconds. Okay, Stephen coming up. Here we go. Hey, Stephen. Interested in rates for sort of exhibitions like museum exhibitions, voiceovers yeah. that I might come in. If you look on the um, the voiceover agents rates list, you will have things that down there for installations or I think they call them installation, voiceover oh, yeah. installation, you know. Yeah. Great. And, if, and what happens if it's sort of in perpetuity? Do they have a kind of... Oh, that's a bastard in that area, I've got to tell you, you know, because they do want it in perpetuity. So you will always put some kind of loading on it. They really don't want to come back to you. It's much easier to negotiate we don't do in perpetuity with it in the commercial world than it is with the non-commercial world. But you have to really look at everything and think, well, how long is this going to be there? And I mean, is it going to be there for just this season? Is it just something that's going to be in the museum or wherever for a, for summer and then it's gone? Or is it going to be permanent, a permanent display that goes on for years and years and years? So, you know, you, you do have to kind of have that as part of your negotiation with with them all you know and and of course you don't have to do the job again yeah it's true but you're still working for them so if you divided say you know it's something that's going to be there for five years before they update it or something and you divide you know five into your normal fee it's like hmm geez they got a good deal but it is it's all down to negotiation really tony hi how are you going good um just quick question i've done some I've been, had a bit of experience in theatre, television, film, radio, and been thinking for a while about voice acting. Could you recommend any good training coaches in the Sydney area at all? In Sydney, Rick Herbert. Rick Herbert, yeah. Yeah, Rick Herbert. I don't know of anybody else to tell you the truth in Sydney. That's cool. That's Rick cool. May, you know, That's if cool. he if he can't for any reason. You can also email me and I'll I'll ask that question of my agent okay cool because there may be somebody else within the agency who's doing it now who i'm not no um, and that's abbyholmes3 at gmail.com that's right yeah yeah cool excellent thank you so much hey abby how you going i'm good great pulling in from adelaide hey um how important can you say adelaide like in like a south australian you know that don't you i i have heard that South accents yeah they do and we talked about this before with with other people that Australians actually have their own state accents like American. Yeah. But yeah. We don't hear it. Is that correct? No. no. You do. <laughs> I, um, My partner's an Adelaide boy, so, you know. Well, he's a good bloke there. He is a good bloke, yeah. Question in relation to sound booths. How important is it to really have a proper sound booth? Um, we, you were discussing the microphones and everything. I yeah. do a podcast, so it comes out pretty right. good with the basics but I mean that I record in this room which is open mm -hmm. you know I and and mine is really a little cubby in the corner look right <laughs> okay. it's very very improvised but basically it is just three walls of um oh, sorry two 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 walls with a, a partition and it is just well baffled I uh, the other thing I should have mentioned really was that audiobooks are starting to want people to do them at home for that you do need 
a proper soundproof booth mm. because they don't want any noise at all. I mean, it, it is important. It's very irritating. So I am going to invest in getting a proper soundproof booth, which is not cheap. But, you know, the the good baffling is really important. I mean, if, if you're in a room that you can actually drop something down from the ceiling on some chains, that's going to help baffle you. You can even have something that you hang down the ceiling the chain that can have a little covering thing that you like a curtain that you can drop down there are lots of ways that you can baffle if you're in a room like you're in but do you do you notice the um that the recordings are very echoey or bouncy not too bad i'm getting a bit better with um how i record and i'm starting to put like a blanket down on the floor but um when i upload to my podcast platform they have a a system that makes it one sound like that, that apple requires so Listening to it, it's quite good. But if I actually turn up the audio on one of my recordings, you can hear that slight hiss in the background. So you can, mm. uh, that's that's microphone related, mm. that's echo related. So I understand that the more serious you go with a recording, the more cleaner audio they want. And I've got a friend, yeah. uh, Stephen Walker in Queensland, he's got a beautiful setup, but we're talking thousands of thousands. thousands of dollars. Dollars. So yeah. you can go all the way, of course, but obviously like your setup there or just going in the... Um, into your cupboard with all the clothes is yeah. works to, to start well, it does work you know i mean it's amazing if you it, really it's the gear that's the most important thing and if you're and being comfortable is really important too mm. you know if you are in that cupboard it's like you can't be hunched you need to you yeah. sit yourself up so that you you've got a really good run at the script it's, the script is right with it i mean i have scripts on an ipad and you know i plug in my computer the, the one that i'm using now is where i connect with my source connect through my headphones and I just use my iPad which I and I can change uh, copy on the iPad and all that kind of stuff so this is very easy but baffling is really it's important clothes is great rugs are great anything you can use I mean I I used to put a chair over my computer stand the chair the legs the legs and the seat and then put a rug over my head and that's how I did it Okay, so do, do what you can with the basics, but if you, yeah, so you can do it if you need to, basically, but the more the more you can do, the, uh, the more money you can spend, the better, obviously, you're going to be able to Yeah, I mean, it's not a great deal of money. I mean, it, you know, I would say improvising is a really great thing to do with, with sound, and it's amazing what you can do with just what you've got around the house, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen that you can buy those um, little booths that you go into, but... It's like putting a giant helmet on your head and I can't imagine you being able to have that freedom of No, no, I wouldn't recommend that. There's also a, a thing that you can buy that's just a, like a fold-out thing. But you need to have, it's really height that's a problem. You know, I've got a little roof on my, it's about seven foot tall and it's got a roof on it and I've got a, a sort of a blanket over a, you know, a panel at the back and it works very well. I mean, nobody's complained. Everybody yeah. says it sounds great. But then then it's about, you know, microphone techniques. So microphone techniques are a really important thing and you need to practice that. So it's really about your listening that you need to start be, be, becoming more proficient at. You know, what am I listening to? And sometimes when we read, we're just reading. But what you want to be, and when you listen back to the recording, you know, it's important that you're not making a judgment of, oh, that, oh, the sound like that. Be the person you're talking to. And ask yourself the question, if I was the person I'm talking to, would I be getting this? Would I be engaged? Would I be, where am I falling down? Where am I getting it right? It's that kind of, it's that kind of analysis you need to be doing really, as well as how does it sound? Thank you very much, Abby. 
Hey, Pete. Hey, Abs. Hey, good. <laughs> and just on what Dave was just saying, then, yeah, I, I avoid those above things that he was talking about, like the play. They remind me of Maxwell Smart's Cone of Silence. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, just anyway um yeah, my question was I don't know if you're getting this or if anyone else at your level is getting this but a lot of people that I've done gigs for in the past seem to be contacting me now straight up rather than through agents and, and that's fine I don't mind that but they then endeavor to get a quote which invariably I give them according to the MEAA rates and then I either don't hear from them again because they've managed to get someone to undercut that or, or I get the gig and they try to talk me down. Or, I mean, you know, are you finding this? I didn't know if anyone else is getting this too. I, I'm not personally finding it, but it is, you know, it's that people, they'll always want to deal. You know, radio stations do it. I, I hardly ever work at a radio station. I'm old enough to be everybody's mother now or grandmother mostly. And <laughs> so I don't really, you know, but they are always after discounts. Generally, it doesn't seem to be happening. I mean. I think when you're doing that, the, the tactic or the technique is really for something that you wouldn't know how to price or you can't find a price for it because a lot of random things will come in to your world about, oh, gee, how would you do that? You know, a top and tail for a podcast. Is it just somebody with, a you know, a few hundred people doing it for interest and they just want to, they've got 50 bucks for it? Or is it somebody who's sponsored? You know, if they got advertising going on, then it's like, well, I'd like to share in that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's really always looking at the actual job. What is this job and where's it going and how long is it going to be there? And then you can negotiate. But often the question is, do you have it? Do you have a fee in mind? And when they give you the low fee, you go, oh, gosh, usually I'd, I'd do that double or triple for that. So why is the fee so low? So why why is the fee so low? Uh, put it back to them. You know, well, the fee's so low because we don't want to pay, because we don't care or we don't pay or we just, you know, because you're only going to be, often they will say, well, it's only going to take you 10 minutes to do it. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, it's going to take me 10 minutes to do it, but no, probably not, because once I open it up and I open the file and I record it for you and then I bounce it out and I send it to you sometimes, I might have taken 10 minutes because I'm quite good at recording it, but then I did all the other stuff. So, yeah, doing it actually is taking me half an hour. However, that's not where the work happens. The work happens whenever they release it on and on and on. So you're working for them for nothing, basically. So yeah. you have to add that on. It's like... Uh, you know, our walking into the studio fee is $190, about to go up to $200, working into, walking into the studio. Broadcast anywhere is what's put on top of that. And that's where you start with all of the loadings for this and the loadings for that and that. And how long is it going to be on for? So, And as you were talking about before, the in perpetuity thing, if they just won't budge on that, you can, I suppose, add a loading? Yeah, add a loading, negotiate a higher fee and settle for it and be happy with it because, you know, it's such a big world now. You know, 10 years ago, we tried to stop online platforms from being there and you can't, you know, the train had well and truly left the building and now it is just a runaway train. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I've got Jessica here and here she is. Yes. Hi, Jessica. Hello. I was wondering about contracts and I was wondering I presume that with the larger companies, they would offer you a contract and that's fine. But what about the smaller jobs? Do you always have a contract on hand that you've created for yourself and that you offer them? 
you never have a contract in voiceover. Okay. You just have an agreement. And the agreement is really that's something that's reflected in the invoice, right? So that that is where you reflect this job is worth this much money because you told me it was going for this time to these, you know, to this location on this medium, you know, and that's and that is the contract. For instance, uh, Spotify only, you know, so can you do a deal for a Spotify only? Wouldn't, I wouldn't, but they will try that on one market only, right? That's what radio stations do. It's just on our station. It's like, yeah, but everyone's listening to it, you know. So I forget what I was going to say now, but we don't have a contract. The agreement is about the invoice. It is the, the invoice is the agreement. You so you send your invoice before you do the job then? Oh, no, no, no. You do the job because it might change. Yeah. You, know, you might go in and do a submission and for that you get $20. But I would, I would wait always with a submission, ask on the job. Um, this is just a submission. If, if it's going to go ahead, might I, should I wait for a couple of days or whatever to see if it's going to go ahead? Oh, yeah, we'll know by Wednesday. And they will let you know either, look, it's just a submission, it's not going to go ahead, or, yes, it's going to go ahead. You need to now invoice us for the whole job, not the submission plus the whole job because you've already got, you know, yeah, so the $200 plus whatever it is. But, yes, there are no contracts in voiceover. There are contracts sometimes in audiobooks, and there are contracts, of course, with animation. Okay. Because that is a, a production, you know, that's a, a big thing. Gotcha. So we have a, it's a completely different set of rates, but you can find those in MIA as well and, and, the, and look at the agreements for, for animation. But for, for voiceover, because they are such, you know, take a moment quite random it can be difficult and and also a lot of people want you to have an abn or be a company because they don't want to pay you on your 330 dollar radio fee all of the loadings and you know put money into super and do it. there's all kinds of things out there that we have tried and tried and tried over quite some time to get to get changes made and even gone to government and said it needs to be legislated and all kinds of things. And we just get a lot of pushback. It can be a, it's a tricky world out there because it's so anomalous. Every job is different. Every experience is different. I think the one thing I want to say about recording from home studio, was it, is that, is that answer your question, Jeff? Yeah, it does. Thank you very much. Is that, now I forget what I was going to say. Recording from home. Record. Oh, yeah, recording from home. Okay, recording from home. If you are doing the editing, and sometimes they say, will you send us the edited file? That, re that requires a loading. That's an engineer's job. And you're not booked to be an engineer. It doesn't just come with your, you know, your voiceover performance. You actually have to add a loading to it. So sometimes I've been caught out where they've said, oh, you just sent us the raw files. I thought you were going to edit it. Oh, I didn't know that. That would be a loading and I would have to, that would be like $120 or something an hour or something. I mean, studios would charge a lot more. But generally what you say is I don't do the editing. You have to have that done. Otherwise it's for loading. Hello. Hello, yes. next person. Oh, hey. Actually, that is something I was going to ask about too, but I've got two more questions. But yeah, I have been before I've charged somebody for editing and they've gone, oh, we don't normally you know, pay for editing. And I'm like, well, it's hours out of my day. So that's right. Exactly. I'm going to charge you for it. Yeah. So two questions. Um, you talked about when a script comes through, when it's the writing is awkward grammatically or there's spelling errors, that sort of stuff. Is it appropriate for me to be asking a producer or director in the room or 
you know, on online to, you know, for a script rewrite or to make suggestions on the fly in that case? You get the script before, right? So you yeah. get the script before. So you really you want to say to whoever that person is, or, or email them back with the script, say, thanks for the script. I've gone through it. I have a whole stack of questions. Can I talk to you before the session? Great. And that is really, and really deep dive that because you just, you, you, you don't want to buggerize around with, you know, you send it to them, oh, look, I, could, you, I, could you pronounce the word innovative instead that of? That too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially foreign words and pronunciation as well. Like, in the- I mean, it, don't say I know how to pronounce that name if it's not something that's completely familiar to you and you think, hmm. Yeah, yeah. Always clear clear that with them. Always make a mark under that. All of the yeah. little words is fine. Honestly, it is a forensic exercise marking all of those words that you think, I think I know it, I think I know it, I think I know it. You don't know it, you don't know it, you don't know it. It's all that sort Fabulous. of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and ambiguity too. Check on ambiguity. Because oh, great. Yeah. That can be a really that can be a tricky thing when you you don't quite get the meaning because it's actually it is amb- ambiguous. So what does this yeah. actually mean? You ask. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, sure. I can spend fifteen minutes to half an hour on the phone with a producer going through one of those long scripts, getting it right. But that means once I do the job, it's gone and it's not going to come back to me again. With oh, could you just make this little change? The other thing, if you're recording at home and somebody's just sent you the script and just do it, you say after you've spoken to them, say. If I have made a mistake, I'm happy to correct it at no charge. If it's something that you want to change, there will be a, um, an additional fee of submit of a submission fee, which is $200. Right. I mean, you'd have to kind of adjust that if it was something that you were getting, you know, nearly $200 an hour for doing, if it's just a, <laughs> for a podcast and they want to change somebody's name, you know. Fabulous. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Cool. One more question, sorry. You talked about charging a client for tracks rather than an hourly rate. So could you expand on that concept? Well, if you look at the MIA, the MIA rates, you'll see that television is per track, right? Television mm-hmm. work always per track. Um, radio work is up to five tracks. So tell, mm-hmm. that's the difference, basically. And when, if you're doing audiovisual work, if you're doing non-commercial work, it, and there are several videos, you know, I do stuff for the, the government and things like that, they might have two or three different videos, you, that that is per video. The fee will be between four hundred and fifty dollars and six hundred and twenty dollars, depending on where it's going or where it's positioned. But those rates you'll find on on voiceover agents' rate sheets, right? Fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you. Abby, I've just got one last thing about, I'm not sure whether you've answered this, so apologies, I'll just read it out. What about editing when you were doing pre-recorded podcasts? I'm sorry, do we add a loading then? What about what? What was the question? What about what about editing when you are doing pre-recorded podcasts? Do we add a loading then? I would say so. Should add, add a loading to all of them. But then pre-recording podcasts, I suppose... If you think that the podcast is, say it's something like this, I'm just going to do the, the union podcast. If it's something like, thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by our, well, I'll edit that out to start with. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I just breathed. Brought to you by our principal, principal sponsor, Media Super and the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work we do, visit equityfoundation.org.au. Right, there were two breaths in there. I would just whip them out gratis. If it's really long and you have to do 15 minutes of breath editing, then, you know, I would say 
if you want me to edit it, it's an extra 50 bucks or something. But if it's, you know, if you have to edit something that's running for four minutes or five minutes or something like that, it's, it's going to take you all day to, to edit it. It can take hours to edit. And it does your head in. Now, we are slightly over. There's one more question. Jane has asked about, you know, if you're traveling in a, hotel, in a hotel and you're recording, I'm assuming you just find the sort of a cubby spot there. And yeah, close the curtains. Hopefully you've got a back room. I mean, if I'm ever doing that and I'm in a city, I always say, can I have a room in the middle or at the back? Or I don't want to know I want a room where there's no noise, you know. But pull the curtains, find a place in the wardrobe or the cupboard. In a room, you're going to get lots of pillows and things like that and extra blankets. So put it in a cup. Often I move furniture around. You know, I might move the bedside table into the wardrobe so I can put the gear on it. Then I might stand a box on it or something like that so it's the right height. So so that's improvised stuff as well. But you then you put the pillows behind your, you know, whatever you're recording on. And uh, that, that, that's probably going to be really successful. That'll be beautifully baffled. Pillows. Now, Abby, what a fabulous session. Thank you so much. I was oh, just thank you, listening, thinking, my God, you know every single thing you know about, uh, about voiceover. It's extraordinary. And we are very, very lucky to be able to draw on your experience. Yeah, thank so, you. And you're incredibly generous with your knowledge. So thank you so much, Abby. And we are having a follow-up session in yeah. June, in June, in October. So keep an eye on the bulletin for that. Yeah. That'll be more of a technique session. So that'll be about those areas that we've talked about and just some techniques that can help you get the gig. All right. So can we do a little um, applaud, uh, put your hands together for Abby for um, a wonderful session. Thanks, uh, thank, thank you again. You guys, for thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by our principal sponsor, Media Super and the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work we do, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Equity Foundation Australia on Facebook and Instagram.